I remember when I first moved here uh, from Houston, Texas, and I walked out of my office, and uh, I think it was Kyle Wade was standing in the hallway, and then I, I was in the office looking, and everybody was looking outside. They were just looking outside. And I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, it's raining. And I was like, that's notable, huh? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. Okay, in Houston, it's not. That's what I felt like just happened with all of the kids as they were walking out. I was just watching, watching all the kids going out, going, oh, it just does my heart good to see that happen. And so today we are supposed to begin a six-week series that I promised you way back in October in which we would take a deeper dive into our new vision statement, which is that we, Southwest, we breathe, we exist in order to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. And then this past Wednesday happened, and I've got to admit, just if, you know, unless you were been living under a rock, you know we had yet another riot break out in our country, another demonstration that we live in an environment right now in our own country where there are a few people that believe that violence is the only way to make their point or to catalyze change, or to protect what we value, or whatever other reason we justify violence. We have some fellow American citizens that, uh, I hope no one in here does this, but there are some misplaced hopes in a particular politic, or politics, or a particular politician, or set of politicians. We don't do that as Christians, but we have some American brothers and sisters that do. And so I considered that on that day. I just was like, it just sucked enough wind out of the room I was sitting in when I noticed it was all happening that I just wanted, I want to know what to do. I want to help you. I want to give our little church family here at Southwest in our little corner of this country as we exist as a kingdom outpost. I want to tell you what you can do as a Christian. I mean, of course, pray, of course, vote, but what else? What can we do to, in response to how everything is right now? And so I said, God, okay, I've been excited about this series for a long time, but do you want me to set it aside? If I did, if I cleared, and I did, I cleared my desk and I said, talk to a couple of my co-workers and I said, man, this is just we need to speak to this. And I said, God, what would you have me say? So I want to tell you today what I feel like God convicted me to tell you that you can do in response to what's going on in our country. If you want to be a part of the solution, if you want to be a Christian in America and you want to be a part of the solution and not just an overconfident, disgusted with the other side, the echo chamber of your side's talking points, no matter how true you think those talking points are, and no matter how true they actually are, if you want to be a part of the solution, then here it is. Here's what God told me to tell you. In word and in deed, as Christians, you are to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. I came full circle. It's like God said, I've been working with you and with this leadership on this message for months. I put it on a banner behind where you're going to be speaking, Brian. And I got to tell you, I just, 
I came full circle. I just, I cried. I've been crying a lot lately. I teared up partially because of the darkness and the sickness. It's not that darkness and sickness is new. It's just the latest iteration of it. Okay, but still, this, this iteration of it, I'm mourning that, I'm grieving that. But it was also with a twinge of joy and, and happiness that the words that he's given us, the, the mission and vision, you can use lots of words, and it's, it's relevant, it works. It works not just as, like, guiding us when we have margin and we're feeling good and we just want to do something that serves God and we want to mobilize as a church towards something that's productive and we individually want to do something that matters. It works during those times, but even during dark times, even during difficult times, no matter the circumstances, these words, kingdom words, Christ's words, God's vision, and our vision, they work even when it's difficult. So, yes, we have some more, some more national pain that we as Christians need to be with, that we need to figure out how to walk with and in. But last Wednesday, I got to tell you, that wasn't the only, the only source of pain that I was experiencing that day. And, and this is something I want to challenge you to do is, is to bring it local when you're asking, what can I do? I had some other sights that day besides what I saw on the box on the TV that were heavy, heavy sights of local pain. I stood right here that day, Wednesday, with a young couple, friends of ours, neighbors of ours, many of you know them, helping them bury their six-day-old daughter. It was heavy. I had a brother text me that day, let me know he was struggling, feeling like he doesn't feel like he belongs in a group that he most certainly belongs in and among. It was heavy. I had a woman come into my office that day and tell me, recount for me the suffering that she had experienced while caring for an elderly parent who got sicker and sicker and their memory got worse and worse and worse and, and she just reflected on that pain and wow it was heavy when she left that triggered me to call my mom my own mom who is i'm displaced from a little bit a little bit removed she's here locally but she's isolated from me physically i called her as i'm trying to be with her as her memory goes and her health goes down now i hope you're not feeling pity for me because I'm in. I'm, this is, as a Christian, that's what I live for, is to walk with people in their pain. But do you, ever, can, do you ever have those moments where you join me in going, how do I do it? It's, we, we just saying, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by you, God, but I'm very often overwhelmed by the amount of pain once you make yourself available to it. Once you become someone and a group of people that is known for being able to walk into it and wanting to walk into it, here it comes. The mask comes off. The proverbial one that we've always talked about. And here it comes, and it's, it can be overwhelming. There are more categories of pain than I will ever be good at knowing what to do with. And the, the number of people, there's more people than I will ever have time. I will never exhaust this 
I will never be skilled at knowing what to do in every situation with every person. But I will always know, thanks to Jesus, what to do first. I will love first. And it is amazing what a wide net that casts on the breadth of issues that have come my way. It is amazing. It's almost like a miracle. It's almost like a miracle. And you and I are being called to reorient our lives. You, individually, personally, and us, corporately, communally, are being called to or reorient our personal lives and priorities and our ministry life and organization here with this love first vision. I want to show you a video that's going to do a better job than I'll do with all my words today that uh, some of our team have worked on and some of you have contributed towards that this is the video that will be the first thing starting today that will pop up on our website. And I want you to watch it and then we'll keep talking about it. Hi, my name is Brian Mashburn and I serve the Southwest Church of Christ. A group of people that takes very seriously what Jesus says is the most important thing And that's to love God and to love people. Southwest is our family. It is where we've raised our boys. And it's where they have mentors and that they still call on, even though they're away from home. And that means the world to us. I came in the community not knowing anyone, not sure how to navigate it. I walked in the door and there was nothing but kindness and love here. Um, wasn't looking for a church home. <laughs> wasn't even on my, on my map. Um, I met the nicest people who helped me understand things, even if they didn't understand me all the time. They at least understood our commonalities. To me, a Love First Church is simply a group of people are willing to go into a very broken and sometimes brutal world and offer people, all people, love, acceptance, grace, hope, healing, forgiveness, and a community to belong to and to connect with. A Love First Church is one that comes alongside folks uh, even when it gets messy. Um, Southwest is good at that. And I know this because uh, seven years ago, my addiction was killing me and ruining my family. Uh, Southwest came alongside us and walked with us through some of the toughest times of our lives. Now, almost seven years later, uh, with some sobriety, uh, some healing, and some grace, uh, me and my family get to come alongside other folks in similar situations and love them first. I think the gift that uh, Southwest has really given me um, since I've grown up in this community is the understanding that love is an action, um, not necessarily a feeling. Uh, I've gotten to experience firsthand the love of our members, and I've gotten to experience um, acting upon that love in my own way uh, and making it my own. I think for me, Southwest has been a, a point of stability in my life during the highs of life and, and the lows of life. Um, it's just been a place where I can draw from for uh, middle ground so that I can uh, know how to treat other people and maintain a good perspective on how things are going. We believe that we've been called by God, no less, to love first, become like Jesus, 
and advance his mission. So if you're needing friends or family even, regardless of your past or even your present, regardless of your identity or your struggles, then you'll fit right in here and we're eager to meet you. Hope that gives you a little picture of what we mean when we say that we're a love first church. And you need to know there are certain skills that we need to develop that are involved in being a love first person and being a love first church. There's certain skills, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week because the call to be a love first church has implications. It has implications. It should change you and your behavior, and it should change us and our ministry. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for this six weeks, really. But this week, I just want to exalt the first piece, the love first part of our statement theologically. And by that, I just mean, where do we get it? Where does it come from Scripture? Where, why do we justify it, you know, out of the very character and heart of God? Because that's what we want to be about. What does it mean to us, Scripture? What does it mean to us to prioritize love first. And I I just want to answer that question in a way that I think is relevant to our heritage, our church heritage, our Christian heritage, but also the climate that we're living in the world right now, where there is so much priority on winning the arguments. Okay? There's such a high premium on winning the arguments. That's always been true among a lot of churches, including ours and us, at least me. But it's also very true in our culture right now. So let me, let me answer this question of what it means to us. It means that when we are faced with the option between being right or being loving, we are going to the people that say loving. Now, before you push back against that too much there, because if, if I was sitting out there hearing me say that, I might go, wait a minute, those, those are two positive things. Those are two categories that are different than each other and you're making us choose between them love goes with hate right i mean if the choice between love and hate i want to be love right goes with wrong if the choice between right and wrong i want to be right you're taking the the positive ones out of both of those and putting them in competition that's that doesn't seem reasonable and and maybe in the world it's not but we we think spiritually and let me just tell you and defend to you once again today that the categories that we need to be thinking in are deeper. Would you rather be right or loving? Christians are the ones that say loving. Loving. So before you push back, let me just, let me just give me a chance here. Give me a chance biblically to defend that. So first of all, to love first is right. Okay, that is right, biblically. If you go to Scripture looking and not just to what's reasonable among humans, okay, among Americans, then you're going you're gonna to leave Scripture knowing that right is love first. Right is love. That is always true in Scripture. If you want to be right about something, then first you have to be love. So much so that even if you are informationally factually right about something, if it is not packaged in love as a Christian, you are wrong. 
You can win the argument with your wife or your husband. And if you sacrificed love to do it, you're in sin. If you sacrificed love to be right, are you hearing me, church? This is true in every area, personally and corporately, for anyone who's a Christian. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, are you hearing what he's saying? He's saying, if I know everything, if I am always factually, informationally right, but I have not love, I am nothing, I gain nothing. If I am right 100% of the time about matters of heaven and earth, and I'm not loving, I am nothing, I gain nothing. That's how important this is. So why? Why is it that important to us? Why must we love first? Can we win the argument first, then follow it up with love? No, we can't. We can't. I hope I don't need to remind you of our epic statement of Jesus that I'm always bringing up. He was at, love is the highest priority of Scripture. It is the highest priority of Jesus. It is the highest priority of God. We know because someone asked Jesus while he was here. Of all the commands, we know there's a bunch in there that we want to get right. What's the most important? Matthew 22. And he said, the most important command is to love God with all that you are and to love others. All of the rest of the commandments hinge on those two. That means if you get all of the rest of the others, or just one of the rest of the others correct, you got it wrong. If it's not serving love, if it is not being delivered in love first, it's the highest priority of Jesus, so it's the highest priority of his church. It's that simple. But there's more reasons. Love is also the longest lasting greatest thing you get to be and to do and to have from heaven. It is the greatest and the longest lasting thing. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, right after he says, love never fails. It's the one thing that he talks about that that doesn't fail. It's love. A lot of other stuff can fail, but this doesn't. He then goes on to say, there's all these different spiritual, valuable, good ways of of delivering truth, right? But they're going to pass. He says prophecies, they're going to cease. Tongues, those are going to cease. Knowledge, knowledge is the normal, human, reasonable category within which we judge right and wrong. It's knowledge. He says even that's going to pass away. It's not going to last there is going to be some stuff that lasts. Faith, hope, and love. That, these are the greatest things, and the greatest of those things is, guess what? Love. Do you know how important faith is in Scripture? In Hebrews, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. That's pretty, pretty important. And love is more important. Do you know how important hope is? Hebrews also says that hope is the anchor for our soul. You wonder where we get that term. It's attached to hope. It's what keeps us stable. It's what keeps us sane. It's what, practically speaking, keeps anyone from committing suicide is at least this much hope has the power to do that. Hopelessness is death. It's the anchor for our soul. It is important. And love is more important. It's greater than hope. If there is such a thing 
as a salvational issue in Scripture. You've probably heard me say before, the only word I'm comfortable, really comfortable and confident putting in the phrase blank is necessary for salvation is Jesus. It's the only thing I really feel like is lofty enough to handle such a weighty sentence that we're going to deliver to the world. Okay, Jesus is necessary for salvation. But if there was another word, it would be love. Love is necessary for salvation. Just a few teachings of Paul to drive this home on being love is being right. Romans 13 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. When you love your wife, you're fulfilling the law. Not when you're right. When you're loving your husband, when you're loving your children, when you're loving your parents, when you're loving your your uncles and aunts, when you're loving your grandparents, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your enemy, that is when you are fulfilling what's right. That is when you are being right. Just to make it clear, he says the commandments, these are the biggies, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, they are all summed up with this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. It's a huge American value. Freedom. It's our freedom. But we as Christians are confined. We, I would suggest we're set more free by being confined to this, what I'm about to read. But freedom, he says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. See, Americans, they are free to indulge the sinful nature. That's their right. Christians, even if we live in America, we are called to use our freedom differently, not to indulge the sinful nature. That's what the rest of the world does. No, we are called to use our freedom to love. That somehow, when we have freedom to do anything and we decide to love, that somehow gives glory to God and fills us with the best possible way to live. So don't indulge your sinful nature with your freedom. Instead, serve one another. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. First Timothy, he's talking to his little protege, Timothy, and he says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Now, this is a big deal in the church, always has been historically, and, and, and rightly so. We don't want to teach false doctrines. And aware or unaware, it, it happens. It ha- we, can, we can go astray and we can venture into legalism or we can venture into something that misses the point. It might even be true, but something that's true, but that we put too much heightened emphasis on, and these are all false things. And so he tells Timothy, don't let him teach false doctrines. After he says that, the goal of this command, Timothy, the goal of me wanting you to do this is love. That's the goal. Not right. Not to get it right. Because, church, you get it right when you love. 
When you practice that outstanding debt, the only one God wants you to keep, the only debt he doesn't want to totally pay for you is your outstanding debt because of his paying your debt to love. He knows that debt is a blessing to you and to the world and the point. And he says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is one of the goals of Jesus, is to purify our hearts. You know how you know when your heart's been purified? When love's coming out of it. Another, one of the goals is a good conscience. You know how you know when your conscience is good? It's when love is coming out of it. Another goal is a sincere faith, not just a plastic, propped-up, religious practice that I do as if that's what faithfulness looks like. No, it's a, I'm trying to develop a sincere faith. You know how you know when you have a sincere faith that's been born and is growing in you? It's written right here. Love. Love comes from those things according to Scripture. He says, some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. We all think we know what meaningless talk is. It's whatever I decide is meaningless. That's what meaningless talk is. So I agree with this scripture in as much as you are talking about things that I think are meaningless. But that's not what Christians do. We don't define it for ourselves. We don't roll our eyes based on no standard except our own. He says they want to be teachers of the law. These are the people who are doing the meaningless talk. They sincerely, I believe most of them sincerely want to be teachers of the law, of what's right. They really are fighting for the truth, fighting for what's right. But they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. This is so interesting to me. I am certain I have confidently affirmed and talked about things thinking that I'm speaking strictly biblical truths, but with no love, and so it was meaningless. The message is all over Scripture. Meaningless talk is any talk, any talk, ungrounded in the priority of love, even if the actual words are factually correct. Love is that big a deal. That's why love first. James chapter 2, it says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, do you know what the royal law is? It's love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. There it is. Loving first is right. That's our economy of thought. That is the category within which Christians argue and have their being and talk and post Facebook posts and Twitter feeds and everything. That's the economy of Christians. You can tell a Christian in word and in deed they are saturated with love. They're sensitive to speaking the truth but always in love. You can feel it. You can swallow the truth they're bringing. Because it is so packaged in this undying priority that comes first. And that's love. The royal law. Love for our neighbors. So, when there's a choice between enforcing what's right and showing love, grace, and acceptance, we show love, grace, and acceptance. I'd rather be factually wrong 
and be love than be factually right and miss love if you believe in the Bible if you're a Christ follower so next week I'm going to today I'm talking theologically I'm, I'm answering the question why why is love first there next week we'll talk about how to incarnate that that just means how are we as a church and how are you personally going to put that into flesh let me just tell you when we do it and when you do it the world will notice you will be like a light in the darkness you'll be like a city in the hill you'll know when you struck gold and you've got it okay it will require something of you i'm just saying it's worth it it's worth it so we'll start talking about that next week but let me finish by highlighting one story from the life of jesus where jesus does incarnate this very practically in an interaction he puts it into practice to conclude this week and kind of introduce next week this is found in john 8 i'm just going to read to you about nine verses here at dawn jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the pharisees these are the ones committed to being right brought in a woman caught in adultery one of the big ones made the top 10 they made her stand before the group and said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law moses commanded us to stone such women now What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. He said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away. One at a time, The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? With your sin? With what you've done? This is a pretty provocative question. I mean, this was in the rules of right and wrong, cut and dry. Has no one condemned you? I'm sure she was shocked when she said, no one. (laughs) I don't know how this has happened. But no one, sir. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go. Leave your life of sin. Now could Jesus have just condemned adultery here and been right? Factually. Yeah. Yeah informationally, academically, based on the rule of right and wrong, absolutely he could have. He could have just jumped right to condemnation and he could have, would have been factually right. But Jesus wouldn't have been Christ-like. Jesus would have missed out on his commission. He wouldn't have been doing what God sent him to do. He would not have been bringing heaven to earth. He would have totally missed all of that if he had done that. Jesus would have been wrong to jump straight to condemnation of adultery. It's the only conclusion I can get from the whole of Scripture and from the fact that I trust Jesus in the order of things in which he does. Our normal human understanding would say he could just condemn it, but Jesus models for us 
at great risk to himself, by the way, against all conventional worldly thinking and even conventional religious thinking, he, can, he models for us what it looks like to in word and in deed love first. It's not like he neglected calling sin, sin. He does it, but not first. Not first. He said, leave your life of sin, but only after he confronted the greater sin of God's followers skipping love and going straight to being right. Only when he confronted that greater sin of them judging this woman as if any of them were any different than her. Not until after he secured her heart by getting her to actually vocally acknowledge that she will not be condemned today based on right and wrong. She will be judged by love. Only after all of that did he then address her sin. And to not do so, church, I'm just going to say, I think is a greater sin. If love for God and love for neighbor is the greatest command, then to do anything out of love for God and love for others is the greatest sin. Can, can you feel the reorientation you're going to have to have? Can you see how it changes Christ followers who are being touched by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's flowing through them? It's going to change how we drive our cars. It's going to change how we talk at home. It's going to change how we visit with each other, what we post, how we interpret world events, how we engage with it. It's going to change us. And it's supposed to change you and me right here locally and change our church's ministry. And it's supposed to align with the priority of love first. You know, let me go ahead and dismiss our leaders. You guys can go ahead and head out to the hallway and outside. And if you're needing a touch today in any way, that's, that's what these folks do this for. Please uh, take advantage of that. But let me finish by just saying, you know, everyone on that video, Monique and Jeremy, the Nashes and others, and me, we're in that video because we've experienced this from this church family, praise God. And we're now testifying about it to others and wanting to offer it ourselves to others. So just like the woman in Jesus' story, we've all got that story. We've all got it. We've all experienced a person or a group of people here or both, really, that have, I mean, we know we're sinners. There's very few people I've ever met that need to be told that. They know they're sinners. They don't want to sin. We don't want to We want to grow out of it, but we need an environment. We need an environment where our sin doesn't throw us in the middle of the group and shame us. We need a safe place where we can explore what it is to follow Jesus and become more like him. And to do that, to become more like him, to advance his mission, so we'll talk about the last four weeks. We have to talk about what we're talking about these first two weeks. We have to love first. We need to be loved first. And I'm boldly saying that that is available for you right here. So this week, we're inviting you to experience it in whatever way 
you need in your life. And I'll just tell you, as the healing and transformation takes place in you, we'll invite you also to join us in delivering that to our neighbors because that's what Jesus is about. So wherever you are on that spectrum, if you need a touch, please come. Let's stand and let's sing.